Hello again, friends. Thank you very much for joining me here on the Wisdom of the Wilderness podcast. My name is Greg, and I'm your host, where each week we share wisdom gained from time spent in nature with a dose of inspirational and empowering stories of everyday people moving through uncharted territory, both literal and figurative. I hope you're as excited as I am to hear what we've got for you this week. Why don't we get started? Hey, hey, friends. All right. I'm excited to talk today to a good friend of mine about horses. I was so excited, in fact, that I totally forgot to do an intro when we just got started on what we we're going to talk about. So <laughs> this is me recording afterward with what we actually talked about a little bit. Horses, they are majestical creatures, and there is a lot that we can learn from them. We can learn a lot about ourselves, about our relationships, about society, and about our connections with a number of things, especially our connection back to the wilderness and to being wild. We talk about quite a variety of different things, but one of the thing, one of the parts I enjoyed the most was hearing about experiences that my friend has had with her Mustang, because Mustangs are one of the connections we have back to the not-so-distant past in North America that really have a sense of wonder around them. So I hope you're as excited as I am, and I hope you don't forget, like I did. But why don't we get started again? Here we go. Horses, Wisdom of the Wilderness. Hey, friends, we are back for another episode with the Realist Idealist. Hello there. Hello. Hey, cool. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? I am pretty good, thank you. I'm excited to record again. Yeah, me too. And uh, with a topic that I know is near and dear to your heart, and uh, one that's near and dear to mine as well. Yes. That is... Working with horses. Yes. Hooray. Easy topic to talk about. Oh, very. I think. Hopefully I didn't jinx us, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is uh, something that I have definitely learned a lot about through my life, and I know you have as well. Maybe start off just telling us a little bit about yeah, your experience with horses and some of the big things you've learned in working from them, working with them, not from them. Yeah, um, for sure. So, uh, I mean, I think like, you know, um, I, I started riding at nine officially. Um, and I think maybe it's notable to say that I really didn't have a lot of exposure prior to that. Um, I did not live in a rural area. Uh, my family didn't ride horses. We didn't have horses. Um, honestly didn't even see that many horses. Um, but I think, uh, my love for horses is something that was like downloaded in whatever we get before we get here. That makes me, me and you, you, um, because like I needed them and I knew I needed them. Uh, but I did not have a lot of, of equine energy, um, in my life. Um, what I did have is that my grandparents liked gambling. So we went to horse tracks, (laughs) which I know is making some people cringe because that is not um, the most savory of industries. Um, So that was kind of like all I had was um, an exposure to thoroughbred racing. And then I didn't even live where there was thoroughbred racing. So I had to settle for harness racers. Um, 
in Ohio at the time, that was, that was the bigger, the bigger industry. So, um, I did not get onto a horse until I was nine, which is kind of late by, by kid standards. Um, so, um, and at nine, I finally got to ride, um, buttercup and this was kind of at, um, it was not a dude ranch. Uh, it's not, it's not a dude ranch in what I've become to know as dude ranches, but, uh, along those lines, like, a like a trail riding, operation um you know where they have like oh my gosh it seemed like it, they had hundreds at the time but I was young so they probably didn't um <laughs> they had you know just horses and horses and horses all standing around all day tacked up waiting you know waiting and ready to go and you know it was quite awful in retrospect um but I mean it was like my dream come true and buttercup was this little pony little pony mare and, um, towards the end of our trail ride, we had to go kind of down into this gully and it was muddy and then a tree had fallen. So they had to, you know, kind of pop over the tree and then back into the mud and then up this gully again. And Buttercup thought that was bad idea. Um, and she didn't want to do that. And plus she was quite short. <laughs> so, I mean, her popping over the log was more like jumping, um, not stepping. So, uh, she was not into this and like, like it just totally didn't face me at all. Like it was just, um, it felt supernatural to be there even when things really did not go well. Um, and you know, there were some adults that I think were kind of starting to get worried. Uh, and I think the trail ride guide, you know, was about ready to change plans. I, I don't know what the plan was. I don't know what plan B was, uh, but we didn't need it because we got over. Um, and I was like, cool. See, I'm just like made to be here. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was my first um, introduction into horses. And to some extent, you know, it's like the rest is history and, uh, and the journey's still going. So, um, but yeah, thanks to, thanks to Buttercup. Um, it all, it all got started. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and yeah, for anybody out there who maybe isn't super familiar with horses or maybe is scared of horses or things, horses are big animals. And it's really interesting how being around them as a child, a lot of things just become natural and second nature. And, you know, um, learning, learning in a barn, learning how to do things becomes second nature. Being around them becomes second nature. And I often have to check myself and go oh yeah that's right not everybody might know what to do or how to be around them or that lots of things could go wrong when you're riding an animal as your experience just showed um, right <laughs> yeah. on that note you got into horses and what we could talk about a bit is maybe like working with horses how did that contribute to various areas of growth in your life yeah, for sure. I think um, you know, it, to start to stay somewhat chronological, I suppose, um, you know, I think for me as a child, um, I was a very unassertive child, not by nature. That was by training. Um, but by the time I was nine, um, that was pretty well established um, that I should not create waves and, um, I should have high agreeability 
and, you know, things like that. And so um, I think that, you know, one of my earlier lessons uh, around, around horses was along the lines of really um, stepping into my power. Um, and when I say that, I'm speaking a little bit more to the, um, like the Hawkins power versus force idea, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so um, using power in that context, um, it was a very empowering experience. Um, I, I'm still small and I was really small <laughs> when I was a kid. I, I, was, I was incredibly small um, and there was just no way obviously that I was going to make a horse do anything. Um, that wasn't even a a narrative worth considering, you know, like that wasn't going to happen. Um, and so I had to find a different way to interact with things that were more powerful than me. Um, and, and I couldn't do that through force. And so I think that was, that was some of my earlier lessons, um, was just sort of standing in that power and standing in that confidence. And, and I was learning all of these things. Like I was learning, I mean, I didn't have words for them at the time, but I was learning all these things like setting an intention and being really crystal clear in what you want and then really expecting to get it. Um, I was learning things like, um, the only thing that I really have control over is me because I certainly don't have control over this <laughs> the other part side of my partnership was like definitely beyond my control but I had a lot of control over myself um mm. and and that was the only thing that I could tap into and that became very very clear um you know I am you know, things that that I gained language for later in life really were were well on their way to being developed as a child early on but without without that language attached so it just ended up kind of just being it was just something that just happened um you know and the challenge I think when I was young was you know transferring that what I learned uh, with horses worked really well for horses and then that that integration into the rest of my life I think was um something that I still continued to struggle with, uh, until, you know, much later in life when, when I had language to actually apply things to other aspects of my life. So, um, I think that was, that was probably like, probably, yeah, that was probably my childhood. My childhood lessons were kind of around that. Um, as I got into adulthood, um, well, I was able to get a horse of my own, um, and so that kind of changed the whole ball game. Um, and that was really, really neat because um, then I had this like long standing relationship with one horse, uh, which I highly recommend for any horse people listening who have not had that opportunity. Uh, I recommend that you do it <laughs> um, because it is just different. So I, I suppose maybe I should say that prior to owning my first horse, one, I had ridden quite a long time. I was not um, quick into horse ownership because, like I said, my family are, are not horse people. <laughs> so this was like, you want what? <laughs> I don't think so. Like, you know, so I, this was a grind. I mean, I had to wear them down, you know. So like, so it took, so I was riding for a good like six years or so. Um, maybe closer to seven, even, uh, before I actually got a horse of my own, which meant that I was riding a lot of other people's horses and I rode a lot of horses. At one point I actually did make a list of every horse I could remember. And it's a lot. Um, 
I mean, I don't have a number for you, but like, you know, I mean, it's well over 50 for sure. Um, easily. Um, so anyway, I finally got to settle down into this, you know, one horse partnership for many, many years. And, you know, the, I think the lesson in that was how, you know, I, maybe I would phrase it as that there was just a lot of reward for synergy, um, synergy in and of itself was rewarding for both of us. We were very like-minded like that. Um, you know, we didn't need like an add a girl. Um, we didn't really need any outside validation, um, or even from each other. Um, we just, the ability to be in harmony was reward enough for us. Um, and that, is um, probably, I mean, if I'm being honest, is probably not something I have experienced elsewhere with other horses or with people, um, although it's definitely like a worthwhile endeavor. Um, then, to continue chronologically, yeah. um, I think that horses really started upping the ante on me. Um, and it did start with my first horse that I owned and all of a sudden things started to get a little bit off keel and, um, and I, and I, and I saw it and I was, you know, and I was like, there's, there's something wrong. And, you know, it, this took several years, you know, like, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with her? Is there something wrong with the world? Um, you know, like, like what's going on? Um, you know, and then I got, uh, she retired and I got another horse and then it was just like, okay, like this is, I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. Um, but all the things that used to work aren't working. Um, and you know, then I would sort of, I, I felt like I was going through this cycle of, I was just figuring something out and then it was like, okay, this is the new bar. And I'd barely get there and they're like, okay, this is the new bar. Um, and so now that has led me to my current bar <laughs> yeah. uh, with my, with my current horse, who's definitely like the toughest and most unique horse I have ever worked with. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's been kind of this constant reaching. And so, you know, I don't know if I have, um, completely articulate words for, you know, quite what's been happening in the last, I would say, I don't know, five years or so, um, you know, with my relationship with horses, except that they've gotten quite tough on me. Um, and, um, and I refuse to, uh, not step up to the challenge that would just be heartbreaking in so many ways for me um and so i i keep i keep doing it um but the lessons definitely have gotten tougher um to understand and and to look at and to integrate for sure yeah yeah that <laughs> there has been a lot going on <laughs> those past few years could you touch a bit on some of the personal growth aspects of working with a horse you know they're magnificent animals for mirroring things to us and i know there's a ton of great books out there that people may be interested in reading even if you're not a horse person that can go into it but what are some of the the things that you've learned or wisdom and knowledge gained as you've progressed in any area of life yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, like, you know, I think 
you know, animals just have a lot to teach us. But it, but I think, um, you know, some of my well, I'll tell you about I think what what I can about my current lessons. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, because those are interesting. I mean, I, I do think like you know, like I said, like as a kid, like like horses taught me a lot about being empowered and being confident and stuff like that. And I, and I think like those are, I think, I mean, I hope that I'm not like, you know, speaking at a turn, but I think those are pretty accessible lessons, um, you know, for people to understand what, what I have been working with, uh, lately with, um, my, my current horse, um, her name's Pearl, uh, and she is a Mustang mare and, um, you know, she, um, is very good at being a very squeaky, crystal clean mirror at showing me everything I would really rather not see. Thank you very much. Um, and, and she is, is, um, very, I don't want to say gentle. That's not quite the word but something along the lines of gentle, but extremely unapologetic about this. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I sort of noticed is that, you know, my lessons when I was young, when I was a kid, you know, the wisdom from horses was very empowering, but very nurturing. You know, it was kind of like, you got this and look, you have this power and you have this confidence and you can make things happen. And isn't it great? I told you, you could do it. You know, there was kind of this like rah, rah energy, you know, that the herd, the collective herd was giving me, right? Like, it's like, look, 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 all this great stuff. Look, look, look. Uh, so now it's kind of shifted um, from sort of this rah-rah energy that's really kind of nurturing and, and uplifting to, you know, I, I think just sort of the, those like harder lessons, um, you know, of just kind of like, hey, look, Blake, what are you still refusing to look at? Um, and I think, you know, from from Pearl, um, I think one of the things that's kind of coming up to me that's that's come up a lot in my own podcast lately and a lot in my own reflections and my own writing is this notion that the best thing you can offer the world is yourself. And mm. for me and Pearl, I think that we really have to start at the foundational place that I am a human. And I think sometimes um, the other foundational place that we have to start from <laughs> is we have to understand that as a human, um, we are so upside down right now that we can't see straight. And I do think that's part of Pearl's message. Um, so maybe I should say here that Pearl is extremely, um, there's still a word that I'm looking for that's not gentle. Um, but she's very kind. Yeah. She's a very kind animal. Um, but I don't think she's terribly impressed <laughs> by people, <laughs> civilization, you know, kind of the whole thing, you know, and while, I mean, she is, she is very kind hearted, um, and she is very warm in this lack of impression you know being impressed um it, you know there's it, like it, it's like she's she can remain unimpressed but not be critical somehow I don't even know how you do that so yeah. that's like why she's here right like how do you do that <laughs> I don't know because if I were going to be unimpressed I would be critical um 
I just wouldn't know how to marry those two things. And yet she does. Um, and so she is not very impressed. Um, and so she is able to hold a very clean, a very clear and clean mirror to me about some of the things that maybe I just have not, it has not occurred to me to ever look at, um, or maybe some things that I thought were kind of put to rest, uh, and they're maybe not entirely put to rest in large part because, you know, we live in this like civilized narrative that, um, does not require us to look at certain things. And actually, if we did, um, it would be uh, uncomfortable and discouraged, um, you know, so to be more specific, you know, one of the things that I thought I had a pretty good handle on earlier, like seven years ago, I would have said I had a great handle on this. And I would have said, I really don't have a need to control things. And the whole grand scheme of human beings, I'm not that controlling, yeah. <laughs> you know, like live and let live. Like, I don't know. That seems a lot of like a lot of work to control yeah. people to be quite frank. So, you know, it's like, that's not something that I've put a lot of energy into. And I kind of thought like, Hey, I kind of got that under control. Well, you know, it turns out that when you meet a Mustang who is, um, as equally powerful, not forceful, but powerful as you, um, and smarter than you are, uh, that there turns out there's a need to control things. (laughs) You know, and it's kind of like, wait a minute, like, you know, there's almost a sense of betrayal. It's like, wait, I learned, I learned all these tools and now they're not working. So what's with that, you know? And, and I think that, um, I think a lot of it is just stepping up to be even more authentic in that power than I had to be before. Um, I think it's part of that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And the mirror is in some ways the most challenging part of working with horses or even stories that you get of people around horses. Um, I know we, we had a conversation a couple of years ago now about like one of the deal breakers I have for dating is if someone doesn't like horses or there are issues around that uh, in a right. other reasons. Um, but yeah, the, the, the ability to reflect things back and to be powerful in the no or the being is can be really challenging to work with um lead to a lot of growth but you really need to be able to look at your look within at a deep level and uh shift your perceptions right yep yeah very much so and um and and it requires you to be present um, in the situation, which I, I think is always, you know, it, that's kind of an animal lesson. Um, that's nature's lesson, right? Regardless of if she shows up as a horse or, uh, you know, a dog or um, a bird or whatever, uh, you know, or a non-animate object. But, um, you know, it, it's to be present. But, um, you know, I think that there's a, there's a tendency to want to change the horse, right? Um, and so we can't do that. We can't change the horse. Um, I mean, we really can't change the horse at all. Uh, And we can maybe have this illusion that it's doing what we want. But if anything has ever been more clear that it's an illusion, it's a horse doing what I want it to do. Um, 
I was like, you know, so that that's another Pearl lesson. So Pearl plays a long game of chess, okay, (laughs) and she'll lose a pawn here and there, you know, and it's like, I I still might not be winning. I mean, I hate to use the term winning or losing, but, you know, it's still sort of like, like, oh, I feel like I'm making ground and like, you know, we're we're like making progress, you know, meanwhile, she's just kind of feeling me out or seeing what's, you know, what's going to happen. You know, it might not, it doesn't necessarily mean what I think it means, um, you know, and it hasn't meant, you know, what it meant in the past, which I think metaphorically is just um, very parallel, you know, to our world right now. You know, it's like all of these things that were so tried and true, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, more, you know, are just like the rules are kind of being rewritten. And, you know, that's a really hard place to be. That's very frustrating. Um, It's, 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 you know, demoralizing at times, Um, you know, it's very hard to get your footing in that. Um, And so I think that, you know, my work with her is just a little, you know, microcosm of of the macrocosm that's kind of happening here, which is that we need a, a very new look on the ways that we were doing things. And some of the ways that we were doing things are just not going to work anymore at all. Like they just need to be kicked to the curb and some things that we were doing, we might need to do, but we need to do with more authenticity. Um, they, they need to be done more purely. Um, we were maybe, maybe doing them. Um, but we had a pretty, you know, forgiving environment. So we maybe weren't quite held to the same standard. Uh, I feel like that's, what's coming up with the power. Like it's like, it's not like you don't have power. And it's not that I don't need the power. But it's like you need different power or better power or more yeah. power. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I don't, you know, but it's like, it's like, it's just not quite right. Like, you know, that used to work, but it's just not quite right right now, you know, because um, she's just not as quite as forgiving to that. Right. In a way, it's a more authentic power as well or more present. Yeah, it's weird. I get a feeling. I'm like, I understand, I can com- comprehend that at, at a level, but it's to verbalize it is is challenging yes yes well horses don't work in words um (laughs) that's people um people like words um so horses don't work in words yeah so um you know that's that's always that's always a human problem (laughs) yeah yeah as you were saying that i was even drawn to mention too like the the presence of you for being around a horse or a herd of horses it's it's a different, um, it's a fully different experience to, to walk, you know, into a field and be surrounded by horses or walk into one and just to see those power dynamics happen of, you know, say you walking out to horses somewhere, me walking out to horses somewhere, somebody listening walking out to horses somewhere, there'd probably be three different reactions from those horses. Right. Right. Yeah. Very likely. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and, and if the horses were, were tuned in and I think like that's, um, that's maybe where it starts to get a little bit different. Like I said, um, you know, so this horse that I've been talking about, Perla, um, she is a Mustang. Now, um, you know, previous to this, I do not have a lot of Mustang experience. Um, so she's really the only one that I have worked with, like in any like intimate capacity, um, I've run across a few, 
you know, and obviously I kind of, I keep a pulse on, on that industry. Um, but I don't know multiple Mustangs well. Um, but you know, when we're working with horses, I think that some of that, something that we need to keep in mind, um, and that I find very fascinating too, is that horses history into domestication very much parallels ours. Um, and they helped us get here or, Maybe help is the wrong word, Um, (laughs) depending on your thoughts. Uh, You know, they were there and we were there and we used each other and here we are. Um, So, you know, um, but anyway, you know, I mean, horses historically have been a form of our technology that have allowed us to become as domesticated as we are. Um, And so, I mean, obviously we've kind of now have, you know, gone grown up I don't know grown past uh you know we're beyond you know needing horsepower um but you know they are they are a part of the technology um that allowed our civilization to be and so I think that you know what gets interesting about working with horses is that you know horses can run into some of the domestication issues that we also run into um and so um you do find uh, as you work with horses that some horses are not particularly present, even though a horse in its natural state, even a domesticated one should be and probably wants to be present and definitely embrace presence probably a lot more easily than people. Um, But you can still find very withdrawn horses. Um, You know, you can find horses that are depressed. You can find horses that are anxious um, and in fact, so many horses are so anxious and, and we see it so often that I think we have erroneously assumed even, uh, even people in the horse industry who know horses well have assumed that horses are naturally flighty and spooky and anxious. And um, I have determined that they are in fact none of those things um, in, in their more authentic nature which they are also not living just like we're not living. Um, and that thought came up several years ago when I was, I, I heard a quote. I wish I knew what quote it was. I don't know. It was by some conqueror, you know, back in the day, um, you know, and they were talking about, you know, these brave horses in battle. And I remember turning to a friend of mine and I was like, they must be riding different horses. <laughs> like, <laughs> like <laughs> my horse would not go into battle, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, she might because I wanted her to, but that would be like the only reason. That's a stupid idea, right? So, you know, so we're kind of like, well, like what's going on? You know, like we don't have horses like that. We don't have these these war horses. But, you know, we know, we know horses went to war uh, often. I mean, that Mm -hmm. was a very common use, Um, you know, and so it's not like, you know, this is a one-off. I mean, obviously, like this is something that had to happen on a regular basis, um, you know, so then I started thinking, you know, that they're, they're, you know, were, were they a different horse? Uh, were they just led by different people? Cause I think, you know, we also can play this game with people too. I mean, when we look at what people used to do versus what people do now, and it's like, I don't know, maybe they're just a different type, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, you know, tougher and, and whatever, um, you know, and so, you know, it's something that I've put a lot of thought into that, you know, of sort of how horses have kind of changed and have softened with us um, and that we're seeing a lot of the same kinds of things. Um, you know, so when this Mustang came into my life, um, I, you know, there there were some not good decisions on her part. 
Um, so she got herself stuck on a bench. Um, you know, cause, I mean, you know, you don't wear halters yeah. in nature. Um, so she ended up getting her halter stuck on the bench. That scared her. Uh, it did startle her. She did pull back. She took the bench with her, realized that was a bad idea too, and just stood there and waited for me to get her unstuck. Um, and this is at a time when me and this horse really had almost no relationship because I had just gotten her. Um, so we really couldn't account for that. Um, you know, it just was the best option if you didn't want to die. Right. Um, and so, um, she has gotten stuck in a round pin, (laughs) all four feet. Uh, she rolled and got herself cast. So she had all her feet stuck in a round pin and she just waited extremely patiently while I took the round pin apart, um, and freed her. Um, and so, you know, she's really proven to be much more level-headed, um, much less prone to sort of self-destruction, which horses are kind of known for, you know, it's like they'll find a way Mm -hmm. to hurt themselves kind of thing. Um, you know, then I think that we tend to give credit for, and here's, you know, the quote unquote wild Mustang, right? Who probably shouldn't have any of these qualities according to our perceptions. And yet she's here and she does have all these qualities. She's quiet. Um, you know, if her herd leaves, she doesn't holler and whinny and carry on. Um, you know, she's, she just, she's stoic, you know, she, she will, you know, no one loses their head if no one loses their head. Right. So like that is a preference Mm -hmm. to nature. Um, you know, nature doesn't need panicky, anxious things. (laughs) That's bad. Yeah. If that even (laughs) happens in a natural environment, if you've got wild horses or wild people, going back in history, like being nomadic, traveling around, were those things that occurred or not? Or is it the horse mirroring for us the changes with domestication and fencing and changes to life structure? It's an interesting question and conundrum. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's, that's also, you know, something else, um, you know, is that, you know, people change things, right? The, the, it's like yeah. the observer quality. I mean, just the fact that, that people are around, um, people are going to change just their, that's going to be an influence, even if you're trying to be really unobtrusive. Um, you know, just that presence kind of starts a chain reaction of things changing. Um, and so when you have an animal that's such a clear mirror, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's always kind of, you know, um, who's looking at who (laughs) kind of thing and, and whose is what, um, and that, that can be very, very tricky. Um, and that, that was a lesson. If you want another lesson, um, that was a lesson that I learned very clearly. And it's kind of a cool story from my previous horse. Um, so not the Mustang. Um, so I, um, let's see, let's, I was probably 17, um, maybe 18. And I had started to not feel very good. And it was getting worse and worse. So this is about a three-day period. And mostly it was that I was losing energy, right? So it was like, I'm a little tired and whatever. Like maybe I'm getting sick. 
I'm a little more tired and whatever. Um, you know, I need to rest. And so because I did not have a lot of energy and I was going to school and I was working and, you know, I was busy, I did not end up seeing my horse. Okay. So one day I'm driving, I think home from work and I park my car and it was hard for me to get out of the car. I was just completely exhausted. Like, I was just like, I have to like rest before I get out of the car. So I do that. I get out of the car. I get into the house and the, the house I, I lived in at the time had, was like a split story. So you either had to go upstairs or downstairs yeah. to get anywhere significant. Right. Um, and, and I literally just like collapse on the stairs. Like, I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Like I, I don't even know what's wrong, but like there really might be yeah. something wrong. <laughs> like now I'm like a little concerned for myself. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, mean, I was very healthy, like active, like 17 year old, you know, so like this, this was just very unusual for me. And I don't know how else to explain it other than to say, I guess downloaded is a good word because it just all of a sudden came to me that this wasn't mine. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is not my stuff. And immediately I had all the energy in the world. And I knew it was my horse. I knew like as she was telling me what she was feeling, but I couldn't separate it from myself, you know? So I was like, oh my God, I'm sick. I'm sick. I need to rest. I, it wasn't me and I wasn't sick and I didn't need to rest. And as soon as I acknowledged that, I was like right back up and running and of course back in the car and, you know, racing over there cause she didn't uh, live in, on my property. Cause like I said, parents didn't, <laughs> didn't do horses. So <laughs> she, she lived elsewhere. Um, you know, and I race over there and, uh, yep, she was completely ill. Um, it ended up being a reaction from a vaccine. Hey. And that's a different talk, but, um, <laughs> you know, I uh, completely ill needed, needed veterinary attention. Um, you know, but, um, you know, it can lesson here is, is just the difficulty, um, and sometimes deciphering what's our stuff and what's not, and being able to read that and then react appropriately. Cause my, my first reaction you know, for this poor horse was completely counterproductive to what she yep. wanted <laughs> and what she needed, which was me to, you know, go attend to her. Um, you know, because I here I was thinking I was just like so sick. I just, I couldn't do anything. Um, and that wasn't the case wow. as it turned out. But she was okay afterwards. <laughs> yeah, eventually. Yeah. Um, you know, we did have to go to the emergency equine hospital and they did all these tests and they did, uh, what else they did? Um, lung x-rays, we did fecal tests and urine tests and blood tests and, oh, all sorts of things. And, uh, they were very, very unwilling to admit that it was vaccines. Hmm. Um, but it was, um, and, uh, they thought they were like, nope, it's gotta be some herbs. And I was like, it's not herbs. She's been on this herbal blend that I had been giving her for a couple of years. <laughs> you know? And they're like, yeah, I'm sure that's it. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure it's not, but classic, right? <laughs> Let's demonize the herbs, but the vaccines are fine. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad she was okay. Uh, she is a, yes. another magical horse. <laughs> She is. She is. Um, what was I going to ask about there? Uh, oh, right. Yes. So, so the, um, the one you just mentioned was domesticated and we have Pearl who is the Mustang. So 
she was actually yes. living out in the wild and had such a different experience from being born probably in a barn or you know being around humans all the time did that you talked right. a bit about how that that is did that change any of the ways that you approach them or like uh i'm looking for having being more authentic in yourself or having a clear intent when you go out to work with her versus like maybe there's some like heightened perceptions that she would have being born and raised in the wild to be on the move all the time that may have been bred out or kind of forgotten with domesticated horses. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, um, and I, and I don't know if it's like bred out or if it's just taught out mm. early. Um, and it's maybe a little bit of both. Um, cause I have occasionally run into domesticated horses that are just not very handled. Um, and they do seem different than well-handled domesticated horses, but not quite like the Mustang. So, you know, there's maybe some, some gradient, you know, to this, um, but she is, I would say that, you know, one of the differences I see in her is that her buy-in is just mm -hmm. not quite the same. <laughs> So, um, you know, it does seem like domesticated horses, I, you know, my, my, my first horse, I felt like she knew me and she knew people better than I knew me. And I knew people like, I mean, it was kind of like, do you want a lesson in people? go to her. That's still the case. Yep. She's still alive, yep. by the way. She's still here. Um, <laughs> yeah, go to her. <laughs> Human nature, she'll tell you about that. What we're doing, what it means, she'll tell you about that. Now, the Mustang, I kind of find, is a little bit more like, I have no idea what you crazy people are doing. But here's sort of the truth about the world. You know, here's kind of the truth about truth. Here's um, truth about the universe. You know, and so, uh, but people, no, I don't get you guys at all. Um, so what you want to do, that is dumb <laughs> and I don't get it now. Like she humors me a lot. And that, and that is the bright word is she humors me like, Oh, these people, they're kind of cute. Um, they're not very impressive. They don't have any hair. They run horribly, <laughs> very bad runners. Um, of course they need to ride me because have you seen them? <laughs> They're very slow, uh, you know, so, you know, I, I, I feel like, like she, she has, there is a softness to her, um, and there is a willingness to her, but it, but it's not quite buy-in. It's not, oh yes, ma'am, let's do that. You know, and it's not, um, even, oh, I totally understand that there's a need to be doing this. Um, but it's kind of like with kind of a, a curiosity of like, that's weird that you want to do that. But okay, you know, let's see where that goes. <laughs> um, you know, so, it, it, you know, it, it's, um, I mean, there is a difference. I mean, it's, I, you know, I don't know if that made sense. It's, it's kind of hard for me to articulate that. Because um, in a lot of ways, at first glance, she really does kind of come off like, you know, other horses. And then you kind of really kind of get in there. And then you're like, no, yeah. she's different. Yeah, I can remember <laughs> back when I met her, I'd heard about her. With meeting her the first time and looking across, how big is that field? Five acres? Uh, that dry lot is. Three. Okay, um, yeah. So just looking three. across, it's like, okay, there's the other horses, yeah. and one of them turns and looks. It's like, huh, yeah, that's a pretty big field of awareness. 
the others are completely oblivious. And no, one of you knows I'm here. That was that was, right. That was really cool. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, for sure. Yeah, something maybe more concrete. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've always heard that horses have uh, like a two to three mile radius of awareness, which I um, believed because I I believed them to be that sensitive. But I honestly, if you had asked me prior to meeting this horse, if I thought I knew a horse that was that sensitive, um, I don't know if I could have named one. Um, You know, this horse does seem to be pretty close to I mean that's a hard thing to measure because I sure don't know what's happening two miles away as the crow flies you know what I mean so like you know who knows like I I mean I can't really say for sure she's like seeing something or feeling something um but she does seem to be in tune um with things that are definitely beyond my perception which um, does not earn me any points in her eyes because I clearly just don't know anything about the world I live in. Um, so, you know, that's another point of, yeah. I don't want to say disagreement, <laughs> but, but it's like mm-hmm, these people, it's like, they don't even care about this over here. Um, you know, so, uh, for instance, like, you know, one thing I can kind of maybe like attribute some, some, you know, relationship to is that, uh, you know, recently we had some neighbors move their horses away. Um, and so these horses lived, oh, I don't know, yep. maybe a half mile, maybe not quite that far. You can't see them because they live down a hill and kind of around a, another hill and whatever. Um, so you can't see them. Um, you really can't hear them. I can't hear them. Maybe I should say, um, you know, even if they get to like being loud. Um, but I could tell that she was different on the day they moved and I knew the day they moved. Um, and then I, I, and I could, I could tell that she was different, you know, that it was just that she was aware, uh, of something. I mean, you could, there was just a distraction about her and it was kind of in that direction where these horses were supposed to be. And I think for her, there is just an awareness that while that might not have been her herd, or maybe it was, I mean, maybe she could perceive it that way. I don't know. Um, but that there were less equines, um, and that, that is something noteworthy if you're an yeah. equine. Yeah. To have that level of connection whichever level it may be is also really fascinating to I mean you're you're out there yeah. in the wild and seeing some of the places where wild horses live we're talking like a thousand or thousands of acres and you know steep hills everything like that like there's a lot going on out there and there actually are predators human or four-legged variety that they're dealing with that's cool thank you for sharing that yeah 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 I mean she has a different judgment too um you know because I you know I tend to think just playing her odds she's probably actually been in danger in her life um real danger not domesticated danger um you know and so I I feel like in in our overly domesticated lives I mean we do occasionally run into you know you know real threats um but those are not our normal threats you know a lot of our threats are really threats that we make and threats that we perceive and sort of these cat fabricated threats around kind of our social environment. Um, and I think that domesticated horses 
do mirror that too, you know, that it's like, oh, we're worried about all of these things. I think that's why they mm. come off as spooky, um, you know, because it's like, oh, there's there's this shadow, you know, and people are like, ah, oh, dumb horses, like, you know, they're scared of their shadow or they're scared of a bucket or they're, scared, you know, whatever, um, you know, and they're not exactly wrong, you know, it's like those things do happen, but I don't find that my Mustang is ever scared of stuff like that. I think I find that sometimes she seems a little distracted to me, um, but then, you know, I probably just don't know what's going on, um, again, and, uh, you know, and I find that she is sometimes, um, you know, reactive of things that are quite legitimate, um, but that there's not nearly as much silly stuff, you know, there's not nearly as much, oh, that's, I can't walk through that mud puddle or, you know, the bucket turned upside down. So now it's very scary or, you know, things like that. That's just not scary. The play, yeah, the plastic bag is not that. In fact, it is really not scary. (laughs) And even if you wanted to scare her with it, that is stupid. Um, yeah. So things blowing around on wind, wind is not scary. Um, things being blown around by wind isn't scary. The sound of wind isn't scary. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of things that she doesn't find scary that domesticated horses seem to, or some do, you know, depending on sort of their level of sensitivity, um, you know, but, um, you know, she will find, you know, a group of dogs uh, that just got loose and are running straight towards yeah. her that's legitimate you know, and she'll react to that. Um, and she also does react a lot more to things like coyotes, uh, than my domestics do, uh, because they haven't really had to worry about coyotes. Um, you know, they were not ever small. They weren't foals in nature. So a coyote was never a problem. Um, but you can kind of see that memory, um, in the Mustang that, you know, there was a time in her life, you know, that a coyote yeah. might be a legit yeah. problem. She's, she's offering a reconnection to the wilderness experience that we can learn from. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Mustangs, I think, are particularly interesting because, um, I mean, we always say wild Mustang, but probably the more appropriate term is feral. Um, you know, and so I think they're extra interesting because there are horses that have been wild from the get go that have never been domesticated. Um, you know, so the, the Mustangs at one point were domesticated. That's how they got here. And then they turned feral and now we're sort of re-domesticating them, you know, if we catch them, which I think is a really interesting sort of, um, vacillation between being domesticated and not, you know, of kind of like, Um, in their ancestral memory, they will have obviously their truest nature of being a wild horse. They'll have the memory of being domesticated. And then they'll also have the memory of rewilding as they go back into that feral state. And so I think that makes them particularly interesting to work with, um, on, on sort of that spiritual ancestral level that they just have so many memories that pull from so many places and there is a shooting star as i said that so we got um we got a little universe confirmation on that statement (laughs) um and so uh but they're just pulling so many memories um and so many ancestral experiences 
uh, and uh, of being wild and then retouching that wildness after being domesticated, which I think is kind of where humanity's at right now is how do we rewild? How do we retouch our, our actual humanity? Um, and, and what is it? <laughs> you know, yeah. I think maybe that's the question. <laughs> um, and, and maybe that's the pearl question when she sits there with her very warm, soft, accepting question of what the hell are you doing? Um, <laughs> what are you? You know, and it's like, I don't know. I don't know if we know. Um, you know, I think I think we think we know what human nature is. Um, but I think you know, before we have any talks on human nature that revolve around anything about morals or ethics or policy or, or even what human nature is or what people naturally do, I think we just really need to start with the understanding that, that we are incredibly oh, gosh. confused yeah. right now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so it's like, it's like we're not seeing straight, you know, and, and, and I think we kind of have to start there. Like, it's just like, you know, we're not even talking about the right things, you know, we're kind of talking about these superficial things and there's, you know, and then we get a layer deeper and we're like, well, that must be the real thing. Right. And it's like, no, I mean, I think there's something more foundational than that. And we get another layer and it's like, it's still the wrong conversation. I think, um, you know, I think that's something that's coming up, you know, from, from that Mustang, specifically that Mustang ancestry that has touched base with domestication and, and the wilderness repeatedly. Yeah, and that we're lucky enough to have that coming up during these chaotic times as well. Like, it's that calm in the storm type energy that Pearl or Mustangs bring that can really help stay anchored and grounded. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think I think the herd um, and the herd being collective, um, the herd, I think, uh, knows this. Um, I, I think they have known it. I think that's why I've been getting pushed against um, for now several years. Mm -hmm. You know, that sort of that bar I was speaking of, of like, okay, it's time to up the ante. It's time to up the ante. It's like, you got to reach, you got to reach, you got to reach, you know, and um and there's been there's been a few horses that have participated in that, not just these two, um, but um, that, that's why that's why I collectively call them the herd. But I'm talking about all equines, you know, that exist um, on this planet. That I think there's been a push on on their end um, to really kind of get people working a little differently um, and looking at things a little differently and relating a little differently and, and, and breaking some of the rules that had worked so, so well um, for people anyway, <laughs> questionable whether it worked for the horse as well, but uh, for people, you know, so I think there was, there has been that push from that collective herd onto humanity that there are just other, there's just other ways that we need to relate to, to horses. And I think this has been coming, um, for a while. I mean, I think like, I mean, you can think all the way back to like black beauty, which is a really old story. Um, you know, which was one of the first stories I'm aware of, of the horse kind of receiving this like humanistic, um, storyline, you know, where we could actually have empathy 
for this horse's experience and, um, you know, in, in his life and follow him through his life and, and everything that was good and bad and, and ugly. And, um, you know, but that I think, you know, we've been giving horses and horses, you know, more and more humanity as, as we've gone along. Um, but, you know, now there's just sort of like this, this push of like, it's just, it's not quite enough. Like you just, you need to keep going further and, and keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, um, you need to find out what it is to be a human. Yes. Yes. Like, uh, gosh, yes. The, the transition from like physically overpowering and beating things into submission to a greater level of compassion and kindness and looking within as we look without is huge. And there are so many different layers that just keep building on each other of got this. Nope. Got this. Nope. Got this. Nope. Which is kind of cool. And also super duper challenging at the same time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and it's like everything, um, I mean, everything ties in, you know, it's just kind of another layer. It, it reminds me of, of, um, you know, back when I was riding a discipline called dressage, you know, some of the upper levels of dressage are, are just, the horses end up doing like just really cool stuff. Like, I mean, they'll end up changing leads like every stride. So it looks like they're skipping and, um, you know, they can turn, you know, at, at, at a canter on their haunches and, and stuff. Anyway, it's just really neat. We don't really need to get into that, but, um, you know, but then you're like sitting there riding a horse and you're like, well, how could, how could what's happening here ever lead to that? <laughs> you know, it's like, like we are like, running around we're not balanced we're out of control like, <laughs> you know whatever like we are spooking at the bucket you know all this stuff and it's just like how can this ever be that you know and I think that you know one of the things that I learned from dressage is that you know you just take the next step and when you take the next step you, you will then know what the next step after that is um and you know sometimes I think we do we get these images of where we could maybe be, be eventually um but, and there's maybe some motivation in that and there's maybe some, um, you know, it's maybe it's helpful maybe for, for vision, um, and intention and, and stuff like that. But I, I think that, you know, I mean, how, how you get there is still one step at a time, you know? And so it's like everything that was true before is still true as you kind of take this journey but it's just it's like a different layer of true it's like it's like you saw a picture and you knew what it was and that and you just and you know what? it's almost like like when you have like yeah bad eyesight but you don't know it <laughs> and then you get it corrected and then you're like oh <laughs> I could like see that from here it turns out you know um you know I can see a lot farther you know and it almost seems like metaphorically it's kind of one of those things like you're looking at something and you are looking at the truth you know but it's fuzzy and then you take another step and it's a little bit clearer and then you take another step and it's a little bit clearer you know and so it's like you know all this stuff you know overlaps I mean what you learned before is still hold some truth in it. It was just maybe misunderstood. Um, it was maybe oversimplified. Um, it was maybe, um, misused or misinterpreted. Um, but it's not necessarily wrong. And then you kind of add these layers and then it's like, Oh, like that's, that's where we're headed. That's, that's 
what we're doing. That's what you were talking about. That's how those two things can coexist, Um, which I think has been a big thing for me is working with the paradox. How can two things that seem so different exist together? And I think that happens a lot more than we're willing to admit. And I think that's one of our problems. (laughs) Not the problem, but a problem, um, you know, that that's challenging is that, you know, in, in this world that's so divided and, uh, and there, we live among so much dichotomy that doesn't really exist. And um, we really feel like we need to be uh, in one camp or the other camp. Um, you know, I think we're kind of losing that ability to sort of sit with a paradox Um, and to sit with a juxtaposition, and to live in gray. My horse is also gray, but to live in the land of of gray, right? That's not black and white. It's just shades. And as we're there, be an observer and stay curious. Right. Right, yes, because the curiosity... um, the curiosity, I, I think, is really kind of the attitude that keeps us out of judgment. Um, as soon as we lose our curiosity, I think it's very hard not to fall into a critical place of judgment. Um, because curiosity is kind of an ongoing question. It's that, it's that ongoing why. Why is that happening? Why, you know, why or what? or how, (laughs) or I wonder, you know, but as soon as we fall out of those questions, um, I I just think, uh, you know, it's a very, very small, quick slide into judgment. And living that curiosity keeps us with that such sense of wonder. And I would say too, that ability to look at things from a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because you're not attached, right? Like, I mean, if you're if you're curious and you're asking questions, um, if you're well, you can ask questions and not be curious, I guess. Um, but if you're asking questions out of curiosity, we do that all the time. <laughs> this is the leading question. Um, no, but if we ask questions and we're genuinely curious about the answer, then we really are open to the answer, right? So we're not, you know, I mean, we might not understand the answer. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's other issues that might happen with the answer, but, but we are open to, to receiving the answer that we receive at that time. Um, you know, and, and so I, that, that's a large part of what we need in order to move forward into any sort of truth, um, is to, to be much more curious about the world, to be much more curious about each other and to be much more curious about ourselves. Um, because, you know, the messaging that I'm getting from the herd is just that there's just going to be some things that we haven't thought to question that are going to mm. be called into question. Some of these very foundational, fundamental things that we've just known to, to be true um, and have just been so much a part of the fabric of who we are. Um You know, it's kind of like that adage, like fish don't talk about water, you know, because it's like, it's just so what we live in and, and who we've been, um, that 
that we don't think to question it. And, you know, when the question comes, whenever that is, and however that, that comes, if we're not curious about that, um, we're not going to be able to even see the question, let alone the answer. That is really good. I love that. All right. That wraps us up for today, friends. Thank you so much for listening. I think that was another great episode, and I'm glad that you are here all the way through the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend, tell your kinfolk, a colleague, a work friend, neighbor, or anyone else who might enjoy it. Someone who might find it a source of inspiration, someone who's maybe doing something that we talked about, or someone who just needs support in chasing their dream. If you got the time, please write a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to so the ratings go up a little bit, more people can find it easily, and they can hear about the wisdom of the wilderness, the benefits of contacting nature, and going after these really cool things. And last, a quick shout out to the listeners that I just saw are joining us from other places in the world. Uh, Prost to the Germans and Austrians. Nazdrovia to our Russian friends. Cheers, mate, to the Aussies and the Kiwis. Not so good at that accent. Uh, and uh, thank you very much to all the people in North America, Ireland, Singapore, Mexico. Gracias, amigas. All right. Hope you all get a chance to enjoy some fresh outdoor air today. And I hope you can all find something outside to be grateful for. Until next week, have fun and dream big. Uh-huh.